This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, so once again, let me make the announcement. This is not the digital revolution. That's a whole other place across the hall. But if you are here for total member involvement, I'm expecting that you are. Uh, and uh, I'll also remind you that we don't have physical handouts. We don't have paper uh, to distribute. Uh, the GYC emphasis this time is, ironically, on a digital revolution. So if you have the app, you can take out the GYC app, and you can go to seminars, and you can go to sessions and see total member involvement, that seminar track. And this particular presentation um, is the very last one in the total member involvement one. So if you click on that one, um, entitled Moving the Ship, there's a little thing that's called View Seminar Resource. And you can click on that, and up will come the notes that you can now. I don't believe you can download them, email them, copy and paste them. I'm not exactly, maybe you can take a screenshot and blow it up. I'm not, I don't know. You can share them on Apple. You can email them? Yes. Oh, maybe you can. All right, so that's fantastic. Ah, you know what you're talking about. I don't. Okay, that's fantastic. So you can do something with them, okay? And so uh, if, if there's any question about that, if, you, if, if somehow for a reason not working, you can see me afterwards and we can talk about other ways we can get hold of them. But um, this one is, like I said, the very last one. In fact, this is the last seminar session of all of them. And uh, thank you for being here. The... To give you background, this is the total member involvement section. Elder Wilson was here for the first couple of sessions. He did an overview of total member involvement and some experiences that are going on around the world with that. Uh, did some question and answer session about that and other various hot button topics in the Seventh Heavens Church right now. Uh, and then we moved into our third session, which was it's time to eat grandpa. Was, how many people were here for that particular message? Okay. Uh, for those of you who weren't, uh, that kind of sets the stage for the rest of the seminar series that for uh, quite a long time now, we have not been following God's counsel from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy in regards to the job of the pastor and the lay people, and we need to right that wrong, and we need to get back on track is kind of the premise there. Uh, then we moved into one called The Ministry That Died and Nobody Noticed, and that was about personal ministries. It used to be the lifeblood heartbeat of the church. And in most churches today, it's a literature rack, if that. And we need to get back to that being every member being involved. It used to be called lay ministries, that the lay members were doing ministry. And we need to get back to that philosophy. That was that uh, fourth session. Uh, anyway, and we've gone on since then. Uh, the last session before this one was um, Mining the Manual. I had no idea how long that was. I thought maybe we might go the whole time and come to find out we had 50% more than we expected. So we went an hour and a half and all the people were blessed and it was a wonderful time. And um, anyway, uh, so I would encourage you if you want to go back and get, like I said, all of the notes and handouts are available through the app. They're going to be recorded and apparently videoed. So uh, all of this information is ready for your uh, perusal at a later time. But I thank you for being here for this one. This is our last one entitled Moving the Ship. We're going to take intensely practical look at some things you can do leaving GYC and going right back to your home church 
What can a person do if you're not an ordained minister, you're not a pastor, you're not a paid clergy, you're not any kind of a, a, a official capacity in your church, but you're just a lay member going home to a church that may not be a training center church. It may not be a lay-driven movement that it should be. What can you do to get started moving the ship? Thus the title. But before we begin any study, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll be off to the races. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that it's a Sabbath day, a day of rest and fellowship, worship and service. And Lord, at this time, I would ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to be here. Don't just be in the room, though. Be in our hearts, be in our minds, sharpen our thinking. Help us to see things from your perspective and give us a new vision of what you would have each one of us to do. Regardless of whether we're employees and pastors, evangelists, teachers, Bible workers, or if we're lay members with no position of responsibility whatsoever, Lord, put a burden on our hearts to do more for you than we are now, to work more efficiently and effectively to hasten your soon coming. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am not particularly big on sports metaphors. It's not really my thing. I don't talk a lot about the bottom of the ninth and this kind of stuff. There is, however, uh, one analogy, one story I want to share with you as we get started here. Um, it was July of 1961, and the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a late lead deep into the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Blade players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now finally training camp had arrived and it was time to get back to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win a championship. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, probably heard of him before, had a different idea. His biographer explains what happened when Lombardi walked into the training camp in the summer of 1961. Quote, he took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. Now you got to understand, these were the, height, uh, the highest you know, paid and, and most trained, and, and they went to the peak, they went to the pinnacle, they lost the Super Bowl, right, the championship game, and they were not ready to come back to this. Coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer, and yet he started from the very beginning. Lombardi's methodical coverage of the fundamentals continued throughout training camp. 
Each player reviewed how to block and tackle. He would go through every position. You're going to put your feet here, stand here, do this, put your hands up, just like they were like little bitty children. They opened up the playbook and started from page one with the goal of becoming the best in the league at the tasks everyone else took for granted. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to to win the NFL championship. The 1961 season was the beginning of Vince Lombardi's reign as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. He would never lose in the playoffs again. In total, Lombardi won five NFL championships in a span of seven years, including three in a row, and he never once coached a team with a losing record. Now, this story isn't about sports. Let's be clear about that. It's about the importance of mastering the fundamentals, going back to the basics and starting from scratch. The same principle very much applies in the church. Please take your Bibles out. What is the church designed to do? Why does God even have a church on the earth at all? Matthew chapter 28, we've seen this passage several times already today, but it'll be the first time in our session here. Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 18, the closing words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And Jesus came and spoke to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. Pause right there. What does Jesus expect his church to do? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In the book Acts of the Apostles, the opening lines Page 9, Sister White says, The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized, doesn't even know, for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. This is why we exist. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through His church shall be reflected to the world His fullness and His efficiency. Notice this now, the members of the church. Those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light are to show forth his glory. They're not just to support those who do, they themselves are to show forth his glory. That's why the church exists, is to get every member to be a missionary for Jesus. And of course, in the Seventh Adventist Church, we understand, and let me just make sure in case you don't understand, since you have your Bibles out already, go to Matthew chapter 24, just a few chapters back. I want you to see this for yourselves. We talk about taking the gospel to the world. Jesus prophesied, Matthew chapter 24. He talks about end times events and false prophets and nation against nation and all kinds of wars and rumors of wars, but I want you to look at verses 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, after all of those difficult things, he says, but... He who endures to the end shall be what? Does Jesus expect there to be some on the earth who will endure to the end? Yes. Then he adds something about what they will be doing during this time of endurance. Verse 14, 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then what will happen? The end will come. I want you to see a sequence there in Matthew 24, verses 13 and 14. He describes a people who will endure to the end. Then he says the gospel will go to all the world, and then the end will come. There's the people, the gospel, then the end will come. Is that clear? Let's go now to Revelation chapter 14. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but Revelation chapter 14, the entire chapter, is nothing more than an enlarged version of Matthew 24, verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter, I mean, Revelation chapter 14, the first five verses describe those who will endure till the end and will be saved. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And somebody, please tell me, what does it mean to have the father's name on their forehead? They have developed the character of Christ, the very thing that this conference is talking about. Okay? And it goes on to talk about then, skip down to verse, mouth, uh, verse 5, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. These are those who endure to the end through the grace and power of Jesus Christ. They remain faithful and stand for the right, though the heavens fall. But notice that in their mouth is no what? No, there are no lies, no deceit. So if it's not lies that's in their mouth, then there must have the truth in their mouth. Thus we read in verses 6 and onward, all the way through verse 12, 13 there, the three angels' messages. Notice what it starts in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting what? Gospel to preach to who? Those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24. There will be those who endure to the end. The gospel will be preached, which we understand is the fullness of the gospel, not just the incarnation, not just the crucifixion, not just the resurrection. It's the intercession, the mediation, the judgment, and the return of Jesus. Yes? It's all of Jesus. Should have said amen, but I forgive you. Okay, so you have the people. Then you have the message. And what's the result? Verse 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. What is the rest of chapter 14 talking about? The return of Jesus. The end. Revelation 14, this grand identifying chapter of the Seventh-day Adventist movement that God has raised up to give these three angels a message is nothing more than the completion of Matthew 24, 13, and 14. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen. It's just giving the enlarged version of it. Okay? This is what our commission is. We are to be those who in our personal life remain faithful and in our public proclamation are useful for the cause of God giving the message and then Jesus will come. Very simple. Okay, now, this is where the, this, is, this um, drive, this missionary mandate is why I believe the Lord has laid upon the hearts of our General Conference leadership to initiate this total member involvement plan. We must, as you've come to these previous meetings, we must get away from the concept of only the ministers do the soul winning. We have to get away from that. Now, I don't want to leave you hanging with something that you don't understand. 
So I'll say this cautiously. Hmm. If I were to just send you home and say, therefore, you should go home and get involved. We'd all say, mm-hmm, good, good, good. Hopefully. But there's a problem. We don't really know what involvement entails. This is, have you ever noticed that language can sometimes, language is supposed to be a tool for communication. But sometimes language can be fuzzy and you hear it, and I think I agree with it in general, but I don't know what to do with it in real life. Okay? So I'm going to have a little tirade for just a second, and you're stuck here now. The door is probation is closed. You're going to have to put up with this. But Words, while supposed to be tools for communication, often become tools for obfuscation. By the way, to obfuscate... It's a verb meaning to render obscure, unclear, or unintelligible. There are language fads. I don't know if you've ever caught on to this, but there are fads in our, in our linguistics, in our, in our conversation, even inside the church. I'll give you some examples you'll probably recall. In the 1990s to the early 2000s, we heard a lot about seekers, we wanted things to always be done on purpose. Heard a lot about purpose. Uh, repeatedly pointed out the dangers of cheap grace. It was a slogan that got tossed around a lot. Uh, we enlisted the help of prayer warriors. Right? You saw books with these titles and programs and banners and stickers and things. But all that's kind of been gone for the last 15 years, 20 years. Today, instead of church services, however, we have new lingo, sometimes. Instead of church services, we have worship gatherings. We don't go to church anymore, we go to gather for worship. I don't know why, but it's hip, I guess. You know, newfangled kids and whatnot. Instead of sharing our faith, we desire to, quote, engage the culture. I don't know who the culture is, and I don't know what engage means. But apparently we're all about it now. I don't know. We can somehow turn almost any noun or verb into an adjective or adverb by simply adding A-L to the end of it. Let me give you an example. We no longer have intent or an intention. We simply are intentional or missional or incarnational or transformational, or New Testamental, right? We've, we've gone into the passive voice. Instead of the person doing an action, we just kind of are. So no one actually does, we all just kind of are. So we could all leave here saying, we're going to be involved. But what does it mean? To be involved. We have to get through this. We must stop this trend. <laughs> By the way, we could, we could expand this list if we wanted to, if we really want to take the time. Look at other such linguistic abominations that either don't say anything or say something everybody's already good with in a way that sounds novel. I would not be surprised at all if some church now refers to a church business meeting as, quote, a gathering to engage in intentionally missional dialogue. 
I don't know what that is, <laughs> but that's where you take a vote on a budget. You know, I don't, anyway. We must stop this trend of using obscure language to hide clear meaning. This is true with total member involvement as well. Not that the term is obscure, but it can be if we don't define it clearly. Okay? If we're not careful, we can repeat the phrase without understanding the underlying concept. What is involvement? What does it mean to be involved in the local church? Let me break it down like this. Involvement in your local church is not necessarily holding an office or running a ministry. Okay? Involvement is not a position of leadership. It's not an elected post. Involvement, here, this is going to be a little bit deep, okay, but we're good. We haven't had a meal for a few hours now. Good. Involvement is the gradual accumulation and judicious expending of personal influence. Okay? I'm assuming you're soaking that in. So I'll say it again. Involvement is the gradual accumulation and judicious, judicious expending of personal influence. The primary way to build personal influence, to move the ship, thank you very much, It's something radical. If you want to go home and do the very first thing, you can start building influence and be a mover and shaker in your church. If you want to step in and really get involved, the number one thing you can do is start showing up to stuff. I hope there was no like flowery language there that was at all unclear. Start showing up to what? Stuff. Amen? Amen? Young people go to church more. Let's take out our Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. This is the quintessential attendance passage. Hebrews chapter 10 Appropriately, this book is all about Christ's role in the sanctuary with an eye on the second coming of Jesus. And right in the heart of this book, the apostle gives this counsel. After he says in verse 23 of Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He then adds, and... Now look at, look at it again in verse 23. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for God is faithful. That's good, but that could be just you personally standing strong and being still. But he says, and in addition to your faithfulness, he says, and let us consider whom? One another. Why? In order to stir up love and good works. So while you have your own personal walk with Jesus, holding fast to your confession, for he is faithful, in addition to that, you should then think of others for what purpose? To stir up. And you get the picture of, of some thick, like, you know, the peanut butter when it's been separated, you got to get in there and stir it up. Sometimes churches can settle down like that. 
but said, you get in there and stir up love and good works. How do you stir up love and good works? How do you start moving the ship of the church? He goes on to explain, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Now, I know that you might think, oh, it's only my generation. No, every generation has young people who skip church. This was the early apostolic church. And already the apostle was seeing a trend that some were getting in the manner of staying home. Avoiding the assembling of themselves together. So notice what he says. You stay faithful and then start to go to work, stirring up love and good works. And the number one thing he says to do, don't quit coming to stuff. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see what? Let me ask you, GYC, do we see the day approaching? Is Jesus coming soon? So you should go to church more. It's a biblical concept. And you might say, well, how often can you go to church? We only have it once a week. But when I say attend stuff, I mean more than just the worship service. I'm talking about Sabbath school, prayer meeting, church socials, outreach events, let's get real, board meetings, business meetings. Anywhere God's people come together to do the work of Christ, you should be there too. Period. I, I explained this in another, another uh, session, but it, it, I, I use the church where I'm currently pastoring, but it, it could be the same for every other one I've been to. Right now, the, the, on the books, we have 377 members. In the pew on Sabbath morning, we have 160 average. In Sabbath school, we have 90 average. In prayer meeting, we have about 12. And I'm thinking as the pastor, how can I stir up love and good works? So I said, all right, let's just start with an honest diagnostic. So we're printing in the bulletin each week all of those numbers. <laughs> here's who should be here, who's, here's who is here, and here's the other stuff even they aren't coming to that much. You know, our church board meeting, our church business meeting, I apologize, our quorum was, when I, and when I arrived at this church just over a year ago, was 40 people. You all know what a quorum is, right? It's the minimum you can have to make the meeting be a meeting. Other than that, you're just hanging out. The number was 40 based on roughly 400 in membership. You would think, well, if you've got 400 members on the book, surely you'd want even 10% to show up so you can vote a budget. Discipline members, open or close a school. I mean, these are big things you can do at a church business session. You'd want at least 10%, right? One, two, three, four business meetings in a row we did not make quorum. We had to do a little trickery to get the quorum lowered to a 25. And by God's grace, we've hit it every time since then. One time with 26, but it counted. <laughs> Friends, you want to have a massive load of influence in your church? 
show up to stuff. You don't have to be the department leader. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to be, you know, certified. You don't have to do, just be there. You know how, you know how leaders are chosen in a church? It's through a process called the what? Nominating committee. And the nominating committee is built on a group from the selection committee. We can go through that if you want, but it's the right thing to do. And they get in a room, depending on the size of the church, it's usually like, you know, 5, 10, 15 people, somewhere out there. And they'll look at all the duties and responsibilities in the church and they'll say, here's all the members. Who would fit well with this? Should we keep the ones we have? Should we make some changes and renegotiate things? What, what, what fits? What works? That's how it works. And who are they going to put in those positions of leadership? Yeah, the folks they see at stuff. That's how it works. If you want to stir up your church, the very first thing you can do is be there. It's called the ministry of attendance. It's true. Imagine planning a church social, expecting 50 people to show up and five show up. You might have the same food, the same activity, the same whatever, but it just sucks the life out of the room, right? We held our public evangelism campaign this last year called Unlock Revelation. And um, I had been told by the leaders of this church that this church is particularly notorious for not showing up to stuff. Well, thank you for letting me know. And, um, but on opening night, by God's grace, we had over 100 visitors come out. So we had about 180 people, and the place was packed. And there were more, it was just, it was just really cool. There were more people there on, like, on a Monday night than there were on a Sabbath morning. That was awesome. And it changed the dynamic. You know, let's just get it real, right, raw right here. If we were doing this exact same seminar, but it was just me and you and like one or two other people in the back, it would be different, wouldn't it? Just being there. You're not leading out in what we're doing now, but you just being here makes it better. And it stirs up love. One of the great things about GYC is when we sing those hymns, there's thousands of people singing along with us. What if they had the same messages, but it was six guys and three girls sitting in the back somewhere, you know, in that big auditorium? Would it change the dynamic? Absolutely. And you can't think of anything your church does where at the end of it, you were like, you know, the only thing that would have made it better if fewer people were here. <laughs> there were way too many people here. What a mess. How are we going to carve those? Down? We need Gideon's army. How are we going to? You never think of that. The number one way young people can get involved, and by the way, give credibility to young people, is just show up. Well, I shouldn't say just show up. Show up on time. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get real for just a second, all right? <laughs> show up on time. Well-dressed, all the people said amen. Amen. Prepared for whatever the occasion is. If it's a study, you've studied ahead of time. If it's an open invitation to the community, you've brought a friend. If it's a potluck, bring a dish. <laughs> but it won't take long at all before people take note. You don't have to make speeches. You don't have to pass out tracts. You, you just smile, nod, and be there. 
and you're starting to stir up love and good works through the ministry of attendance, okay? By the way, I put this little note in the, in the handouts if you want to see it later. It's a little footnote. Uh, it's an important note. The primary way to lose personal influence, talk big but never follow through, and whining. No one sits around in the nominating committee and says, you, we need some young person. Who is the whiniest, brattiest, you know, who can we put in that office? No, no, that doesn't give you any credibility. Even if stuff is wrong, just, what, what did the speaker say? As long as they're not asking you to sin or go against their biblically informed conscience, show up, smile, and participate. Just be there. All right. Influence. So now you've just shown up to things. That means, in, in all seriousness, this is a Sabbath. Most of you will be back by to your home churches this week, right? In the next day or two. Most of you have a midweek service, either Tuesday or Wednesday night, yes? You want to really change the world for Jesus? Go to prayer meeting. Be a young person with your Bible in hand and go to prayer meeting. Start this week, stirring up love and good works. Influence is like change in your pocket. By the way, they're going to notice too. They're not going to forget, especially if you come back the next week or the next week. You can't let them forget, right? Influence is like change in your pocket. You build it up. You show up one time, you get a coin. Show up another time, you get a coin. All of a sudden, you're starting to generate a little influence. You pick it up slowly over time. And you spend it judiciously. You pick your spots. So here are some practical ways to build and expend that influence in your local church. The best way to build it is to show up to stuff, and it's just like an automatic payment, right? It's the monthly payment. You just get it. But once you start getting in there, don't just be a recluse and stay to yourself or hang out with your friend group or just be on your little social media. Actually befriend the other people there. Make friends with other influential people. Now, let me be clear. When I say influential, I don't necessarily mean the wealthy or the bossy. I'm talking about the genuinely influential people who are often those who show up and accomplish things. Often they're quiet, they're unassuming, but they're the ones who actually run the church. They're the ones who happen to hold three or four offices because no one else will take it. They're the one, they know the history of things. They, they're happy to see you come in. Get in with those people. They're the other ones. Build a little network of influential people in your church. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about undermining the pastor, go behind the elders' backs. I'm just saying, you be one of those and look for like-minded people and make friends. It's the next step. Look for the other ones. Here's another thing. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Some biblical principles, things you can do in the church. Ecclesiastes 9. You've probably heard this before. Verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it how? With your might. 
Young people are notoriously um, good at being idealistic, pie in the sky, big picture visionaries with little follow through. Flip that around. Look for smaller things to do and do those things better. Okay? Do small things well. Do small things well. And by that I mean, after you've shown up, that's the first thing you do well, and after you make friends and you start to just be at everything, you're just ubiquitously around, inevitably you will be asked to do something more. You'll be asked to take on some responsibility. Could you help us out with the, and you're hoping it's on the board, but what they come with is pathfinders. You're like, no, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever they ask you to help with, if it's not sin, right, if it's not against your conscience, even if it's not the thing you were aiming for or wanting to do, do that well. Do something well. Accept nominating committee positions or even just small duties you volunteer yourself to do. If you see a need, pick a corner of the shop and start tidying it up. Pick up the metaphoric or even real broom. Just do something. Pick a thing and just start doing it. You don't need permission. You don't need an office. Just start doing something. Then do more with that responsibility than anyone has ever done before. You tidy those little boxes, those glow tracks, make sure that thing is stacked just right every time. No smudges and fingerprints. You're going to do it right. Anytime the literature rack is supposed to have the newest and latest books, but it's just filled with old like Lake Union Heralds and Adoranist Reviews and stuff like that that people donate and nobody ever takes, they just give. Clean that stuff out. Make it look good. Make it look sharp. If you're going to be the Pathfinder guy or the, or the, or the youth Sabbath school person. Do that well. And it won't take long before people notice, not only does this person show up, and they're friends with this one, this one, this one, this one, they're kind of hanging out, and now they're doing things, I promise you, larger responsibilities will come. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul gave this counsel to young Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your what? Youth. Clearly the Apostle Paul, if you have time to study this out, if you ever want to go look it up, I think it's on Audiverse somewhere. I have a message called, um, I promise I have a message on there. (laughs) Because you are young, that's it. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in faith and life and love and speech and impurity. The Apostle Paul was a multilingual scholar, missionary, extraordinaire. He'd had life uh, risking dangers and stuff. He was an orator. He was an evangelist. He was a tent maker. He was a a member of the city. He was academic. He was all of those things. Timothy was homeschooled. And here comes along Timothy behind the Apostle Paul. And Paul says to him, hey, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't let it happen. And he does not say the way to diffuse their perceptions of you is to complain. 
What's the way to set the record straight? To set an example. Okay? Let no one despise your youth. They're going to look at you and have some pretty low expectations, youth of GYC. By the way, that's not them being mean. They've got some pretty good reason to doubt young people's commitments to Christ. We've given them a pretty good track record. What do you think people in the church expect of young people in the church? We already laughed about it, but they expect you to show up late if you show up at all. To be dressed a little too sloppy or just for, you know, attention or whatever. To sit in the back, to slouch, to text and talk with your friends, to not take things seriously, blah, 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 blah. Why in the world would they give you a position of responsibility? You be, a, be an example to counter the stereotype. Paul says they're going to have low expectations. And that might be their fault, it might be your friend's fault, but whatever, you don't confirm the stereotype. You do something different, do something they're not expecting. Show up and do jobs well. Blow their minds. Here's one. This is not a church office. This is not a special gift from the Holy Spirit. It's just what you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, and that is give Bible studies. Give Bible studies to non-Adventists. I don't mean just get your friends who are already believers in a room and go through, I mean, which is fine. I'm not putting down that kind of thing, but more than just the in-reach, you got to outreach. Go to somebody who doesn't know the present truth and ask them if you'd like to give them, if, they, if they'll be okay with you, gave them Bible studies, right? A very simple tool. Have you heard about our Bible school? And they'll say no. And if they say no, well, let me tell you. And if they say yes, well, I'm glad you know. Let me help you, you know? It's a golden way. Or here's, here's a great one. I know that people are afraid of... There's so many, so many things we could say here. I am pretty certain that most people will say the reason they don't offer to give Bible studies is because people will say no. I think the reality is people are afraid they might say yes, and they wouldn't know what to do then, right? Like, we're all prepared to go door to door and get that slam in the face, curse word in the ear, and like, oh, I've been wounded. Now I've got a scar and a story to tell. And I can go back home and say, witnessing isn't my gift. Right? But what happens if you actually knock on the door like the experience just shared up front, right? And they said, praise the Lord, can you start now? You're like, uh. <laughs> and you realize, like, I was just going through the motions, never having any expectation anybody would take me up on it, right? But have some Bible study guides in your church ready to go, in your pocket, in your car, in your glove box, in your purse, whatever it is you carry around, have them handy, and offer. Hey, would you like to study the Bible? They'll probably say no. They might say yes. And if they do, what should you do? Study the Bible with them. Start studying the Bible. You know, go back to Hebrews. Right in the middle of the Apostle Paul's description of Jesus as, um, as priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And there in Hebrews chapter 5, and he's going through some pretty deep theology about the Melchizedek parallel and all kinds of things. 
And then he kind of abruptly stops in verses 12, 13, and 14, and look what's bugging him. You, you, can, you can read into his writing here a, a, a frustration with the church membership. Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be what? Teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, and he defines what that is. That is, those who by reason of what? Use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He's like, the reason we're always having to go back through and teach you the same things over and over and over again is because you're not putting to use the stuff you've already been given. Why do you think that our, our understanding of theological concepts and our discourse in the church is sometimes so much lower than it could be? It's because we're not exercising what we've already got and sharing it with anybody else. And Paul's like, we're just going through and cycling back through the milk and the milk and the milk. You should be solid food feeding milk to others. But instead, we're just going through a recycling program here. It's frustrating. Do not merely distribute literature. I know we've talked a lot about giving out glow tracks, but don't just do that. And I know you're thinking, well, I was already, it was a big step for me to distribute literature. I know, but take the second step. Actually lead someone through Scripture. This personal labor will give you your own spiritual experience. It will inspire your church family when they hear you talking about those Bible studies you give or praise God, they start seeing you attend church with the Bible study interests. That's going to stir up love and good works. Then I ask you, how did you get a visitor? Oh, I did this radical thing. I said, would you like to study the Bible? And it will give, voice, it will give your voice credibility in church matters. Now you are a person of significance because you show up you dress well, you're on time, you're prepared, you bring a dish, all that kind of stuff. You've gone to work and done something well, and in your spare time, you're winning souls because that's what disciples of Jesus do. And they're like, this is a real person. This is legitimate. Christian Service, page 121. When churches are revived, it is because some individual seeks earnestly for the blessing of God. I'll read that again. When churches are revived, it is because some individual seeks earnestly for the blessing of God. It doesn't say some group or committee, but just one person says, all right, Lord, I want more, and I want you to do more with me. I want your blessing, and I want to be a blessing. Put me to work. Here am I. Send me. He hungers and thirsts after God and asks in faith and receives accordingly. He goes to work in earnest, feeling his great dependence upon the Lord, and souls are aroused to seek for a like blessing. They'll look and say, what has transformed your life? And you didn't go get a degree, you didn't go pay a lot of money, you just started putting these basic principles. I started showing up to stuff, I started reading my Sabbath school lesson, did a little job pretty well, and you just walk them through the steps. And they're going to look at you and say, I want what you've got. Okay? 
Again, he goes to work in earnest, feeling his great dependence on the Lord, and souls are aroused to seek for a like blessing. And a season of refreshing falls on the hearts of men. Wouldn't it be refreshing to see even just a couple of people get on fire for the Lord? And wouldn't other people want to warm their hands by that fire too? The extensive work will not be neglected. The larger plans will be laid at the right time, but personal individual effort and interest for your friends and neighbors will accomplish much more than can be estimated. It is for the want of this kind of labor that souls for whom Christ died are perishing. Now notice, she's not against big evangelistic campaigns and larger plans and broader work. That's all fine, and it will come. But the real need both in the church and by people outside the church, is for individuals to have a walk with Christ, not only faithfulness, but usefulness for Him. So individually, go to work for Christ, giving Bible studies, winning souls, bringing friends to church, and people will notice it's good for them, it's good for you, and it's good for the rest of the church body. That's how you build influence. Okay? Here's the next thing you do. Your first tiptoe into corporate work. Everything else so far has been individual. Now, outside of the building up friendships, okay? But let's say that you and your friends are like-minded and they're starting to win souls and there's a little bit of inertia. There's a little momentum building. You're on a course of trajectory and the ship is starting to move. Now what do you do? Start a ministry with a simple, specific objective and give it a name. Uh, my friends Mark and Jim Howard, when they were converted to the Lord in their early 20s, went back to their church and didn't know what to do with themselves. They had no office. They didn't even know that churches had officers. They just knew they were a pastor and then they were people. But they said, we want to do something for the Lord, and so we want to go out and give Bible studies. But they got together, just the two of them, and they founded Highways and Hedges Ministries. Sounds pretty, pretty legit, right? I think they even had a three-ring binder. And they called up, I think it was Voice of Prophecy, and it is written in Amazing Facts. And they said, well, there are Bible study interests in this area. You know, we know that people do mailers or something like that. We'll go and give those Bible studies. And they started just doing that. And all of a sudden, their church had to deal with the fact that we've got a ministry on our hands. <laughs> well, who started that thing? What committee approved that? Where's their budget? On the calendar? What? I don't know. It's just people got together and started doing stuff. Please get out of your mind that you have to wait from on high for some you know, bumper sticker package before you can do something. Do something. Testimonies for the Church, volume 6, page 266. Every church is in need of the controlling power of the Holy Spirit, and now is the time to pray for it. By the way, and when we talk, this is a good time to talk about this. When we talk about the prayer, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I'm not against that at all. Let me be clear. I do have a concern, however, is that we don't know what we're asking for. What is it we're expecting to happen if the Holy Spirit were to be poured out? Let's put it in another. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, 
it was because they were going to work giving a message. They were given the gift of tongues because they were talking to people. Right? You're given the gift of healing when there's someone sick and they need healing. Sometimes I fear that we're praying for the Holy Spirit and what we're expecting is a cinematic demonstration in front of us that we'll see. Right? And that stuff will just miraculously or more accurately, magically start happening. The Holy Spirit is not going to be poured out in front of you. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out through you and you will do things for Christ. That's what the great reformatory movement will look like. It's not going to be done in front of us like a show we're watching. It's going to be done in us and we'll be doing a work for Christ. Notice this again. Every church is in need of the controlling power of the Holy Spirit and now is the time to pray for it. But in all God's work for man, he plans that man shall cooperate with him. To this end, the Lord calls upon the church to have a higher piety, a more just sense of duty, a clearer realization of their obligations to their creator. He calls upon them to be a pure, sanctified, working people. And the Christian help work is one means of bringing this about, for the Holy Spirit communicates with all who are doing God's service. Christian help work. You can look this up in Adventist history. There were Christian help works, or they would put them in little groups and call them Christian help bands. We think of band as like a guitar and a banjo. I don't know why the banjo, but you know what I'm saying. A guitar instruments, a musical band. This was just a band of people doing stuff together. Okay, Christian help bands. And they would go around the neighborhoods and just see if people needed help. Now that help might be stacking wood or shoveling snow, not here in Houston, but in Michigan, there's a lot of that, okay? Or giving Bible studies, whatever the thing is, but they would just go around like, let's get together and go work for Christ, a Christian help band. Now, she said, to those who have been engaged in, have been engaged in this work, I would say, continue with tact and ability. Arouse your associates to work under some name, whereby they may be organized to cooperate in harmonious action. So you can get all kinds of... By the way, that's a fun planning meeting. Get three or four of your friends together, brainstorm, go over these materials, think, all right, we've done this and this. What should we do? What kind of work can we do? Let's make a Christian help band out of it. What should we name it? Let's have some popcorn and talk. It's fun. Get the young men and women in the churches to work. Combine medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message. By the way, medical missionary work is not just giving hot foot baths and stuff and massages. It's just, I mean, the simplest acts of Christian kindness are the entering wedges of the, Christian, uh, of the medical missionary work. By the way, we would call that preventative care. When you help the old lady pick up the sticks in her yard, you prevented her back from going out. Right? You've given a little middle medical missionary work. And you've established some credibility for your church family, at least for that one person. And they're that much more open to receiving the gospel. Okay? Make regular, organized efforts to lift the church members out of the dead level in which they have been for years. See if the breath of life will not then come into our churches. A new element needs to be brought into the work. God's people must realize their great need and peril 
and take up the work that lies nearest them. I think it was Mark Finley who said, God never calls you to be a missionary where you aren't until you're a missionary where you are. And I love these appeals to mission, but it's amazing. We'll have people say, I'm ready to go over around the world and do that. No, you're not. Because you're not doing it now where you are. We're going to go baptize hundreds over there, but we won't give one Bible study here. Take up the work that's nearest you. Go to work right here, and through the daily duties of those little, you know, responsibilities, your influence will grow, and you'll have the opportunity for larger work as you demonstrate faithfulness in the smaller. Start where you are and grow from there. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's go there now. Now, are we ending in 15 minutes? Is that clear? Is that, am I right this time? Are we already over? Seriously? Will somebody say something? <laughs> this is twice now. You, you know what's going on with the camera. You're just watching me do this. <laughs> have mercy. All right. How far over have, are, are we all missed whatever the next thing is? Are we right at now? Well, then I'm coming in for a landing. We're fine. All right. <laughs> well, we won't look up Nehemiah, but trust me, it's there. Go home and read it, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Basically, when Nehemiah, by the way, who was not a priest or the king, he wasn't any leader like that, he was just a concerned lay member who went back to the world. What was the very first thing he did? Yes, he prayed, that's true. All right, I, I, I meant like up off of his knees. He surveyed the project, thank you, brother. He toured the city. Do this in your church sometime. Just walk around the thing, outside and inside. Look at all the rooms, look at all, and just start noticing that we had a, we've been building a resource desk, and it's just getting finished up this week. I'm so excited to get back to Kalamazoo so we can put that thing to use. Mm. When it comes to personal ministries and literature work, almost every church has this problem. You go into, there's at least one closet or bookshelf or probably multiple closets and bookshelves, plural, where we each year order new materials and we never distribute them all and whatever's left over we keep. And we stack them up in order like a tree grows rings. Right? And so you open a closet and it's, an it's a geologic column of evangelism. Right? There's the cassette tapes down there, then there's the VHS talking about the coming 2000s. Watch out. And all the way through... And they'll be in closets and, and bookshelves and cubby holes and cabinets all over the church. We feel good having it, but we don't do anything with it. Build a resource desk right there in your foyer to house and distribute glow tracks, sharing books, DVDs, Bible study guides, all of the stuff so that members can have what they need to go bless other people and visitors alike, of course. But put that thing front and just take a look around. We had somebody come and a handyman come in and help uh, one of these dear members who was building this. He brought his assistant along who's not an Adventist. And he looked and he said after one day of being in the church foyer, he, he turned to the man he was working with who was a member of the church. And he said, boy, you guys really like plastic plants. <laughs> like he walked into this church and he said, you know what you're all about? Plastic plants. <laughs> and I counted. I looked around. We, we have five bill, bulletin boards 
Some are decorative, some are randomly scattered with things, some have pictures on them, that, but there's no like flow, it's just a random smattering of... Not that anything is inherently bad, but it's not collectively doing any good. See what I'm saying? So look at the church from a visitor's perspective and think, what needs to be done here and how can I be of service? Are we all making sense? Okay. Uh, Let me just finish this out here. So look at the church foyer. Does it have clear focus and flow? What's going on with things like bulletin boards, tables, literature racks, plastic plants, etc.? Inventory your church's personal ministry materials, noting where they're kept and how they're made available to members and visitors. Are there closets in what we talked about? Uh, is there a centrally located a resource uh, uh, desk for storage and distribution of materials? Scan the bulletin to see what changes might be helpful in communicating church activities and ministries more clearly. Take note of whether church programming is active or appealing, or is it cold and formal? Now, let me be clear. I don't think that we should ever aim to make our worship services entertaining. Having said that, the same behavior in the house of God from Testimonies Volume 5 that says we should be reverent and quiet like we were in the sanctuary of old also says that our services need to be, quote, intensely interesting. What makes church service intensely interesting or Sabbath school or prayer meeting is not entertainment, but it's real life blood pumping ministry testimonies, sharing your faith, having a word in due season. That's what makes it happen. And look, is the church just cold and formal? And if there's something cold, don't just say, Pastor, I want to let you know someone should do something. Don't do that. Say, here am I. Send me. I noticed this when I was walking around the wall. Let me help. These are just a few of the many, many ways you can begin to move the ship of your church toward becoming a training center church. If some adjustments can be made somewhere, don't just offer sensible suggestions. Offer sacrificial service. Keep in mind that improvement requires involvement. You've got to be there to have a voice and have any credibility. Have we made sense today? Are we clear? All right. It was like four hands, so I'm assuming that's a no. All right. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about a couple of... Uh, I'm, only, I, I'm supposed to advertise three resources here. First of all, uh, you'll find these... Uh, this gentleman's going to help us pass those out. Thank you. Uh, from the Emanuel Institute, the soul winning uh, uh, school there in the Michigan Conference. I happen to work with them as an adjunct professor, so I'd get in big trouble if I didn't mention this. Um, but there is a training, a summer discipleship program coming up July 30 to August 12 for $150. That's it. Get more information. There's an Emanuel booth down in the exhibit hall. Let me let you know about this beautiful resource as well. It's called the Discipleship Handbook. And brother, you can start coming up. The Discipleship Handbook was put together by the committee in Michigan called the Training Center Church Committee. Mark Howard, Jim Howard, myself, Justin Ringstaff, Stacey Shefka, some good people that you might know are on that committee and help write these materials. The Discipleship Handbook is, I'm telling you, it is not just because I was a part of it this together, but it took years to put it together because it's been done well. Okay. Fabulous. In fact, we have some testimonies of people who are putting it to use. It's good for new members to know how to have a personal devotional walk with Christ and how to get involved with soul winning and church life and these kind of things. It's good for old members because most of us hadn't been taught this stuff to start with. It's good for prayer meeting. It's good for sermon series. It's good for personal reading. Just let me, let, let me tell you, it just basically it's got 26 chapters, which is one chapter a week for six months. 
And it's got an accompanying mentor's guide so that you as a member can help guide a new member into the fundamentals of faith. Okay? I would highly encourage you and let you know that regularly the price is $12. If you mention this seminar, when you go down to the booth, you get $2 off, so you get a $10 discount. If you buy 100 or more, you get them for 8 bucks a piece. So I'm telling you, this is a resource. It's, I can tell you that there are conferences and parts of the world field that are buying them by the hundreds now. It's a good resource. You want to be on the front edge of this, okay? Also, I want to let you know about Audioverse Advance. In fact, you're going to let them know about Audioverse Advance. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. You want to take this for a second? There you go. All right. We just want to let you know about Audioverse Advance. Um, it is a platform that Audioverse is providing. Um, basically, we have uh, partnered up with Emmanuel Institute as well as Light Ministries, and we are offering online training. So if you want to be trained in evangelism or in health, um, you can visit aviateadvance.org, and I'm going to be passing out these flyers so you can know a little bit more about it. We also have discounts on our classes today, so if you visit our booth at 602-604, we'll be there to let you know more, more about that. Awesome. So Emmanuel Institute, Discipleship. So you're going to register to go to the Emmanuel Institute. You're going to purchase at least one discipleship handbook, not right now, after Sabbath when the exhibits are open. Let's be clear. And you're going to investigate and probably sign up for a course or two or all through Audioverse Advance. All right. So these are just some of the very, very many, many materials. You could look at the It Is Written Bible Studies, the Landmarks of Prophecy Studies. There's Bible Studies. There's resources. There's Glow Track. There's the resources, the uh, digital media. All the tools exist. So it's not for lack of picking up a shovel. We just need you to pick it up and work. All right. I hope that's made sense. Before we leave, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you give us, in your wisdom, the privilege and the responsibility of being co-laborers with you. Lord, we want to be followers of Jesus, but not just his head. We want to be part of his body which is the church. And we've already studied that the only way the church grows is when every part does its share. Lord, teach us what our part is. Help us to have the right job in our minds as pastors and help the lay members to see what their responsibility is. Help the young people to set an example for the believers. And Lord, by your grace, Help us to do something for you that will hasten the coming of Jesus. Let us see our Savior face to face. And when that day comes, Lord, I pray that not one is missing. If we pray it in Jesus' name. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.